Okay, for, for Mother's Day, got a little something special to start off with this morning. Maybe Lemuel knows the answer to this. What's the definition of a sweater? It's something you wear when your mom is cold. Some of your kids know that, right? <laughs> well, why was the computer so smart? Say, listen to the motherboard. Huh? Yeah, I'm glad Keith's here, man. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so a son says to his his dad, Dad, do you know the difference between a pack of elephants and a pack of cookies? Dad says no, and the son says it's a good thing Mom does the shopping. Now, last but not least, last but not least, a daughter says to the mom, Mom, what's it like to have the greatest daughter in the world? Mom says, I don't know, dear. You'd have to ask Grandma. (laughs) Just like only a mom could, right? We're thankful for our moms. Seriously, as as I think about moms, faithful moms like my wife and the mom I was blessed with growing up, Uh, Moms that love the Lord, one of the things they share in common with our Lord Jesus Christ is their patient and repeated teaching of their children about truth. Patiently and repeatedly teaching them the truth of the world, uh, truth about life, truth about God over and over and over. If you're in the middle of that right now, I commend you this morning. I encourage you. It's much like Jesus in his ministry. We're going to see that same persistence as he continues to make his case to the Jews in his day, particularly the leaders. And as we go through these, I'm going to share five main points that each have a no greater than. No greater, no greater, no greater. And along the way, we're going to weave in some momisms, things that the moms in my life like to say, and you've probably heard along the way as well. But the first no greater is no greater sign. No greater sign. If you have your Bibles, you want to see what I'm talking about, Matthew 12, 38. So some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now, had there been any lack of signs in front of them by Jesus up to this point? No, No, just the opposite. If you were with us last week, you know he had literally just cast out a demon from a blind and mute man who is now seeing and talking right in front of their eyes. And and what did they attribute that miracle to? Satan's power. But here they say, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Did they really need another sign of that type? Would that really change anything? I think about that and I think about something moms like to say. There's a difference between a want and a need, right? That's a good momism. I see that at play here. They may have wanted another sign like that. They did not need another one. And Jesus headed a direction with them that they may not have expected. Verse 39, he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Imagine these religious leaders saying, Adulterous? Us? How dare he call us evil and adulterous? Well, think about what is going on. 
the bridegroom that they have been waiting for, who has been prophesied, is in their midst, right in front of them. And they are in the process of rejecting him. If that's not adulterous, I don't know what is. He goes on, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. You say, what sign was that? Verse 40. Jesus says, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, Jesus, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What sign is he talking about that is going to take place down the road in his ministry? He's going to die. He is going to be buried. And on the third day, he is going to rise again. The resurrection would be a sign. Does that mean all of them would believe after the resurrection? No, you see many of them still pushing against Christ in the, the book of Acts. You see an exception like Saul, who was a Pharisee, the most zealous of them all. He meets the risen Christ on the road and, and that changed him forever, right? But it's a sign even to those who would not embrace him after the resurrection. Listen to what Paul says in Acts 17. He says, God has fixed a day. I've got to fix my rotation here. <laughs> God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus' resurrection from the dead was a sign even to those who rejected him that he did have authority and he would judge the living and the dead. I want to encourage you, there's a lot of signs you can look at in the ministry of Jesus if you're exploring the reality of who he is. If you're going to focus in on one, focus in on the resurrection. It all hinges on that one. In fact, Saul... The, the man we know is Paul, the Pharisee who was converted. He comes right out and says that. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. What about how we should live if Christ wasn't raised? 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty two. He says, if the dead are not raised... Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do whatever you want if Christ is not raised. But what does he tell us in Romans 1 4? He says, Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. The resurrection is proof that he is who he said he was. And we need to pay close attention to every word that ever dropped from his lips. I love Twitter because people can get right to something briefly. A man named Andy Bannister tweeted this about the resurrection. He said, Confucius' tomb? Occupied. Buddha's tomb? Occupied. Muhammad's tomb? Occupied. Jesus' tomb? Empty. Draw your own conclusions, he closes. What have you done? with the resurrection of Christ. It all hinges on that. There's no greater sign. 
Now, I want to talk to you about no greater messenger. No greater messenger. Verse 41. He looks at them and says, The, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. Nineveh, the, the wicked Assyrians, are going to rise up and condemn this generation. Why? When they were confronted in their wickedness, the end of verse 41, it says, For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Now, I want you to see from Jonah what happened there. Jonah chapter 3, after his adventures at sea. Verse 4, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. How would they respond? Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, just think about that. These were people known for the horrible ways they treated people in war. The Israelites had no fondness for them. That's why Jonah wanted to go the other way. But God persists and gets him there. Think about this. A complete stranger shows up. Right? Preaches a one-line sermon. A one-line sermon. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the whole city repented. Jesus goes to make His point to these leaders. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Listen, what's going on? The promised Messiah is on scene in the promised land, right? He's, he's teaching and doing signs and He does so publicly for three years or, or more. He's fulfilling prophecy after prophecy right in front of their eyes. And many of the leaders are still rejecting him. You see his point. He's going to give another Old Testament example. Verse 42 says, The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn this generation. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of of King Solomon. This is from 1 Kings 10. This queen of the south, we're told there, was the queen of Sheba. Many scholars believe this was Ethiopia. You know how far that is from Israel? A straight line? About 1,500 miles. So this pagan queen hears about the, the wealth of Solomon. This was cribs before cribs. Okay? This guy is, is loaded. He's not only loaded, he's, he's filled with wisdom. So 1 Kings 10 says she went there and she tested him with hard questions. And, and he answered them all. And when she looked around at his wisdom and his wealth, the end of verse 5 in 1 Kings 10 says there was no more breath in her. I don't know if this is where we got the phrase it took her breath away, but that was the reaction. Wow. It's all true. And she goes on to bless God. Verse 9, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you, Solomon, and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king. Think about it. This pagan queen traveled many hundreds of miles, probably via camel, and acknowledged God's work in the life of King Solomon. Jesus looks at these Jewish leaders and He says, Behold, something greater 
than Solomon is here. They didn't have to travel. Here, the Messiah came down from heaven and came right to his own people. John 1.11 summarizes their response this way. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And right now, these leaders are in the middle of this angry frenzy where we're told by Matthew that they're trying to destroy Jesus. And in the middle of this frenzy, they're missing it. And this is where I could hear a mom step in, right? And say, guys, you're missing it. Listen, if your friends jumped off a cliff, what? Fill it in. Would you jump off too? They're they're getting swept up in this frenzy and missing that the Messiah is right in their midst. I want to talk to you for a minute. Throughout Scripture, there are prophets who teach God's truth. There are priests who represent people before God. And there are kings who lead God's people. Every one of them falls short, save one. Every one of them points to Jesus Christ. And we see this thread in this chapter here. Verse 41, we read something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is the consummate prophet of God. Matthew 12, 6, when Bill preached, something greater than the temple is here. Jesus is the consummate priest of God. Verse 42, something greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is the consummate king of God. But you notice each time it says something, right? Something greater, something greater, something greater. That's not masculine, it's neuter. So you say, what, what is greater? What is this greater thing? Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is in your midst. Think about this for a minute. Jesus is greater than Jonah. Have you embraced Jesus as the greatest prophet? Because not only will He show you the truth, He is the truth. Right? He's greater than the temple. Have you embraced Jesus as the greatest priest? Because not only will He show you the way to the Father, He is the way. Jesus is greater than Solomon. Have you embraced Jesus as the greatest king? Because not only will He grant and protect your eternal life, what does He tell us? He says, I am the life. There's no greater messenger. Now I want to talk to you about the greatest void, the greatest hole inside. Some have referred to it as a God-shaped hole. As I prepare you for this, I think about another momism. See if you can finish this one. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Good job. Your moms would be proud, right? And there's at least a couple reasons usually behind that. First, you're going to get tired if you don't. Second, if you don't eat a good breakfast, you're going to fill up on junk. And I, I share that second one in particular to prepare you for a spiritual equivalent of, of filling up on junk. If you don't eat the good stuff. Look at verse 43. Jesus says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. 
But it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. What's the picture here? Someone's had a, a demon cast out. Right? Now, now they are emptied. But that demon realizes the place is still empty. Goes get seven more. And eight of them together leave that person in a worse state than he was at the beginning. Why is Jesus saying this to these leaders? He says, so also will it be with this evil generation. Say, come again, Jesus? What, what are you driving at here? Well, he knew their history. They had done a good job over the past couple of centuries of getting rid of outward idolatry because they saw the captivity that led to in the Old Testament. Outwardly, they were doing well. But at the same time as they did that, they were in the process of rejecting the Messiah who came to be the one they worshipped and rejecting the Holy Spirit who He would send to fill them if they would receive Him. And you know what that did? It left them as a sitting duck. It's a picture of how unable we are to find salvation on our own. We can, we can become aware that I've got sin in my life. We can do our best to clean it up, to scrub it down, to at least make it look outwardly good. But listen, if you do not come to faith in Jesus Christ, if you do not receive Him and the Holy Spirit He sends to fill that void, all man-made religion leaves you a sitting duck for the enemy. And we've got to think through this long and hard. Have I come to Jesus? Or is my spiritual life just a list of manpower don'ts? You know, I cleaned up the best I could in my own power. Beware if that's you. That's a void the enemy's just waiting to fill. But there's practical outworkings to this too. Think about sanctification. Okay, I'm not going to fill my mind with porn anymore. That's good, but what are you going to fill it with? What are you going to fill it with? I'm, I'm not going to drown my sorrows with alcohol anymore. I, I know I need to stop that, but where are you going to take your sorrows? I'm not going to the club anymore. Where are you going? And there's some important questions here. Like, is your life a, a hollowed out tower, empty, just, just waiting to be occupied? Or have you come to faith in Jesus? Does He reside there? Does the Holy Spirit reside there? If not, you're just playing religious games. And we know there's such a thing. Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy 3. He speaks of those who have an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Listen, I want to encourage you, if you have not pressed into a relationship of faith with Jesus Christ. Invite Him to come in and fellowship with you. Let your relationship with Him brim over on a daily basis. What's it say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Find your satisfaction in Him. I like the way John Piper put it years ago. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. How satisfied am I this morning in the Father? 
in the Son, in Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you for a minute about no greater privilege. Verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? You say, that's an unusual response. Where's he going? We'll, we'll go there in a minute. But for now, I just want you to imagine how special it would have been to give birth to Jesus for Mary. I mean, can you imagine like holding his little fingers and looking into his little eyes, seeing his first smile, and hearing his first laugh? Special, right? And what about being his brother or sister, growing up in the same house with him? Mark 6 tells us he had at least four brothers and sisters, so it's a large house. I'm not even sure that was such a great, great deal for them, right? Like, come on, Jesus never gets in trouble. Right? I mean, can you imagine growing up in that house? We know that side of the resurrection, much of his own family didn't even believe in him. Some things changed when brother showed up from the dead. But before that, at this point, John 7, 5 says not even his brothers believed in him. Mark 3.21 tells us about a time that he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he's out of his mind. Some of his family thought he was off his rocker while he's out there doing his father's business. They didn't believe they, they thought he was crazy at points of his ministry. What's his response after he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And I want you, if you fall into this category, to just ponder for a moment how very precious these words are from the lips of our Savior. Verse 49 says, stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister. And mother. Wow. It happened in Luke 11 too. Verse 27. As he he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And I hear the way he described these groups of disciples. He said, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This reminds me of another momism, right? What, what do they say? I'm not asking. I'm telling. I'm telling. It's more than just the hearing. Right? And I wonder, is, is that us this morning? Have, have you done the will of the Father in heaven by believing in the Son as your Savior? If so, do you continue to walk in His footsteps this morning? Do you realize how very precious it is that Jesus calls you brother, sister, mother? Hebrews 2.11 says it like this. This verse always gets me. 
says he is not ashamed to call them brothers. You look at your life, I look at mine, I can think of a lot of reasons he could be ashamed. (laughs) And it's convicting because I think of how many times I'm tempted to be publicly ashamed of him. When it should be just the opposite. He, He is not ashamed to call them brothers. I think of the privilege of that. I want to close this morning by talking about the phrase, no greater joy. No greater joy. I think of the joy it must fill him with when we follow in his father's footsteps. I think it's the joy of any mother who loves the Lord, what she wants for her children. I, I think of his heart. I think of that mother's heart. I think of what's written in Third John verse 4. Where John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You want to know what to get mom for Mother's Day? There it is. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You you want to know how to bless Jesus in your walk? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I got just a little taste of this joy that Jesus must have yesterday. Our family went out with the church on the Walk for Life in Prescott Valley. There were probably 20, 25 people walking around. And when we got back to where we began, and we were just getting ready to go home, a young man named Colin came up. He had a pro-choice shirt on. We had all of our Walk for Life balloons and shirts. And he wanted to talk about our differences. I was so blessed to stand there for 15 or 20 minutes and watch as as he would share his thought. And then folks from our group who represented Jesus well, who represented truth well, who represented love well, engaged with him. From teenagers on up to the oldest in the group, there's this beautiful back and forth. Christ was represented well. Our family left after a time because it went on for some time. But later on in the day, I was even more blessed. And I know the Lord must have been as well because Daniel, our youth pastor, texted me. He ended up sticking around for two hours talking with Colin. And he said, we even got to share the good news of Jesus Christ with him. That brought a smile to my heart. And it makes me think about Third John 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And I think it brings us all back around as we prepare to wrap up to say, Lord, what's your will in my walk today? What does it mean for me to do the will of the Father in heaven in my life? Who, who is it that you would have me share that good news with? How is it you would have me behave in my family with my spouse and my children, my home, my friends where I live, my, my workplace? What does it look like for me to hear the Word of God and keep it? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Lord, I thank You for this little passage. I thank You that in Jesus' bold words, with the religious leaders of that day. We, we can learn. We can, we can glean. Lord, 
And at the heart of it, the, the most important message I see here is that there is no greater messenger than Jesus Christ. Lord, there is no greater privilege than to put our faith in Him and be called one of His, one of His, his mothers, His brothers, His sisters. Thank You for the grace that would extend those words from His lips. And may we be those who are faithful to say, Thank You, Jesus. May I never be ashamed of You. May I walk with You today as You lead me in the steps You would have for me. May You lead me to my own callings in my world that I might faithfully represent You. Jesus, may You water those seeds that have been planted there in Colin's family and bring them to salvation. Lord, we thank You for the one greater than Jonah, the one greater than the temple, the one greater than Solomon, Jesus Christ, our Savior King. It's in His name we pray. Amen.